Hello, everybody, and welcome to Art Drama Llama, where we look beyond the galleries and dish on the art world's gossip, rivalries, and eccentricities. My name is Manchi. I'm Tina. I'm Martika. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, take two. <laughs> my knee. Um, hello, everybody, and welcome to Art Drama Llama, where we look beyond the galleries and dish on the art world's gossip, rivalries, and eccentricities. My name is Manchi. I'm Bartika. And I'm Sienja. And today we actually have a very, very special episode because near and dear to our hearts. Very near and dear to our hearts. And because we're closing in or we've hit our first year anniversary already. Um, so we wanted to celebrate by talking about an art piece that brought us together, really. Like I would say this is the origin story. Mm-hmm. In many ways. <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. In many ways. This is what bonds the three of us together to art history. This is the painting. And so, ironically, art history. Not to each other lunch and ninth grade lunch bonded. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There are a lot of other trauma memories that bond us together. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. There's a lot of other good memes. Um, but yes, this is like our art history. Like if you were to put if we were a country and we had a flag, we would have this artwork on it. And oh, it's, yeah. I know, right? Very bold of us. Very who, progressive. Who decided this? Was it you? Dictator, just, no, no, no. Uh, this is, it's an Mongolian analogy. Mongolian <laughs> she's trying to put her image, her reenactment of this image on the flag. I was going to painting. I don't remember this being a democratic vote on this theoretical <laughs> flag. You know what? It's this was not. the thing that bonded us, and this will be the thing that breaks us. Goodbye. <laughs> I quit you, the podcast. I was just simply making analogies. <laughs> this is being blown out of proportion. Uh, I would like to rewind the tape, guys, and let's listen back to what actually happened. Sensitive. Are you invalidating I'm me? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. just saying we should look at the facts. <laughs> um, the ceiling tiles. Our ceiling tile painting. Yeah, our ceiling tile painting. I actually think you're right, Chica. That should be on our flag, not my reenactment. Um, my reenactment can just be burned, actually. Um, <laughs> you're not proud of it anymore? I mean, it was a look. Not a good look, but it was a look. I know. Wait, I think I have it saved on my computer. <laughs> it's that special, you guys. It's going to burn my eyes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it wouldn't be an Art Drama Llama episode if all three of us didn't have a piece in it. And also if we didn't reschedule twice and then uh, one of us decided to be 40 minutes late while the other two were dealing with technical difficulties within that 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. We're... Technical difficulty. <laughs> me being stupid. It turns I, out, yeah, Sienja yeah, just doesn't know how to work the volume buttons is what we figured out. Literally, yeah. I, I was born in the century too. <laughs> Wait, no, I wasn't. I wasn't born in the century. I was raised in the century. Right? Yeah, we were raised in the century. But yeah, we were we're like borderline millennial Gen Zers. We have a claim to fame. I honestly here. feel like we should have our own name. I think so too. I think like probably all the in-between generations kind of have their own thing going on. Yeah. I, I've heard people call us cuspers and people always look at me weird when I say cuspers. I'm like, that's an actual thing. I've read it in my textbook. <laughs> it's proof. It's cited. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, well, yeah, so the three of us are, so, I mean, we've kept the audience in suspense for quite a while, talking about all sorts of different things, uh, always alluding to this famous painting. So this episode, we're going to talk about the Grand Odalesque by Anks. And we have to pronounce it that way, Anks. <laughs> it sounds like angst, but like, I mean, more angst. Yeah. Did I say that right? Angst? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like angles. <laughs> yeah, you have to really get the uh, sound in. Okay. Um, but the Grand Ole Alaska is very famous because it is one of those revolutionary naked reclining woman pieces that we somehow just became so fond of over college, or sorry, over high school. And over high school, just it was just like a few months of senior year. <laughs> just a few months of senior year, she became our spirit animal in many ways. Uh, <laughs> and so we have to talk about it. And we're going to talk about the history leading to the Grand Olesque, the Grand Olesque herself, and then all of the things that happen afterwards. Uh, so you guys strap in. It's going to be a three-part journey, and each of us are going to talk a little bit about it. Um, how we got there, what it is, and where we went from there. So I will kick it off, and I'm talking about all of the things that came before the Grand Odalesque, and really all the things that inspired this reclining nude imagery that Engs has painted. So the first thing I always wanted to talk about was the sarcophagus of the spouses. And this is actually an Etruscan um, funerary art piece. And it's basically this man and this wife kind of laying down on a chaise lounge. Um, it's like those lounging chairs that you see, right? Like it's just long and flat and you lay on it. Um, so the two of them are lounging on it. But this is a funerary piece, like we mentioned. So something that they would actually put in the tombs for their dead. And I always thought this was like a very interesting piece and something I think we never really related to it, but these are not reclining nude figures, but these are reclining figures, right? And I feel like a lot of the reclining figures in the future were sort of inspired by this because the Romans also had this, um, had this custom of like laying on their side while they were eating, right? So they were always like the nobility were always reclining as they were eating instead of sitting like we do. And I think this is actually what may have inspired all of like these sort of like chairs, you know, these reclining chairs and reclining figures in art throughout time. Um, um, you know what I just thought of? When you what? This, I don't know why, like my thought process, I don't know, my thought process works in weird ways. But when you talk, were talking about them uh, laying down and eating I was like they probably thought that was so sexy or something and then I thought of draw me like one of your French girls <laughs> she's, a, she's a reclining nude she is yes the draw me like a your one of your French girls yeah Rose was a reclining nude I mean because it's kind of become I mean definitely not from the sarcophagus of the spouses like they're not meant to be sexy in any way right but over time like it's become a very central imagery right so I think it was, you know, done on purpose. Yeah. But I always think about like the trucks, the Etruscan and also the Roman art that show these reclining figures, because in my mind, I feel like there's a connection there, but we never really talked about it. And I haven't really seen a lot of research there, 
But I feel like this is this could be one of the places where it stemmed from. Or maybe humans just love reclining so much, which makes sense because I think throughout time people have always loved sleeping. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first piece I wanted to talk about. Um, the second and third pieces, as well as the fourth pieces, are direct influences actually for the Grand Odalesque. The first one we're going to talk about is The Sleeping v Venus by Giorgione from 1510. Um, and Giorgione was an Italian Renaissance painter, and he painted essentially the main figure, and then the um, background was actually completed by Titian, which is really important because Titian would then paint the next influential painting uh, for the Grand Odalesque. So this, The Sleeping Venus by Giorgione would actually influence the next painting, which would then influence the Grandolesque as well. So it's like this long sort of, you know, sourcing that's happening, right? Like one artist is like referencing the other who is referencing the other who is probably referencing something else, right? So I feel like through this research, I've never really understood, like the concept of art is never, um, is never new has really made sense to me now because it's all these artists sort of taking pieces that you liked from previous artists and taking their own spin on it. So back to The Sleeping Venus by uh, Giorgione. Um, essentially in this painting, what we see is this woman who's laying sort of starting from the middle half of the left-hand side and then spreading all the way down to the bottom of the right-hand side. And she's got her hand behind her head and she's fully naked, and then she's got her hand kind of on top of her pubic region, and she's sleeping, and she's sleeping in an outdoor setting. We see sort of a field. She's got like a sheet below her and a red pillow. There's like a bit of like a boulder cliff type thing above her head, and then in the, in the background of the right-hand side, we see a road that leads to what looks like a town. Um, and there's got some trees and, and um, some nice nature uh, scenery, um, but the Venus is sleeping and she's got her hand covering her cooch, you know. You gotta stay classy, man. You yeah. know, the rest of your body is, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. This is actually the first known reclining nude in Western painting. And this, along with the pastoral concert, another painting that was disputed between Titian and Giorgione, sort of established the genre of erotic, mythological, pastoral imagery, right, of these female nudes in the landscape, and sometimes accompanied by cloth men. And so this was sort of the first influential painting, and this one is kind of like not, I would say, as central, because she's sleeping, right? So it kind of feels like we're just observing her, right? We're not really sort of part of it. It seems like a candid scene. And also we don't really know like if she's, if the hand covering her private parts is just like a way so that the uh, artist doesn't have to draw her private parts. So she, he can keep it, I guess, still PC <laughs> in many ways, or if she's actually pleasuring herself. So it's a bit of unknown. We don't really know if that's intentional or not intentional. It's still being debated. But one of the first major, you know, reclining nude pieces to come out of this time um, and something that influenced the Grand Odalesque. And the second painting we're going to talk about is Venus of Urbino. And this was painted by Titian, who had previously completed the background of um, the Sleeping Venus, which we had just talked about. 
And in Taishan's painting, it's quite actually different from the Sleeping Venus because in this painting, in the Venus of Urbino, we see this lady who is kind of lounging on her bed with uh, you know, white sheets and you can kind of see like a, a red sort of mattress underneath it. And I think what's the most interesting is that she kind of takes up the bottom third of the page, similar like her head is kind of like on the middle of the left-hand side and her body kind of lounges diagonally down to the bottom of the right-hand side. But behind her head, all the way through like the middle of the painting, so completely on the second half, like the left-hand side, right, half of the left-hand side, it's just a black background. And she's starkly basically on top of that black background. There's nothing framing her face, her body, all the way leading up to where her hand is. And then there's like a sharp line where you can then see the maids who are working in the background um, and seemingly rummaging through a chest looking for something. And then there's like a dog by her feet. But the most sterling part is she's looking directly at us. And she has a bouquet of flowers in her right hand next to her boob. And she's in her apartment or her house or her bed, right? And this gives a very contrasting feeling from the Sleeping Venus where we seem to have just stumbled upon her in nature. This is like, she's looking directly at us and it's like as if we're in her room or she seems to be in our room. And she's really engaging us by looking directly in our souls. And I think this painting also does not leave any question as to whether or not she's masturbating. I, I mean, Wikipedia says that there is some argument, but considering that the line in the painting stops like directly above her hand, covering her private parts, I think we can somewhat reasonably assume what is happening there. Um, but there's like a few different theories as to why the Venus of Urbino was painted. Um, and the wait, first wait, wait. one, yeah. I present a third argument. Yes. She was just scratching an itch. She could have been just scratching an itch. Like, why does it have to be full-blown um, masturbating? That's like, true. She could have just been like, let me, listen, dude, I know you're painting me, but like, I really just got to scratch. Yeah, that's true. She could have been. She could have been. We can't discount that theory. The only and the artist still decided to put that in there. <laughs> that's that my that's my counter argument. Yeah, I think well, maybe that he was liked, like the the, yeah. the angle or something. He's like, okay, go whatever. He didn't think much of it, and then people years later are like, clearly, she was <laughs> doing lewd things. <laughs> but it's not. She's just you know itchy. Yeah. Okay. So for the Halloween special, we're gonna do a seance. We're gonna be like, okay model and artist what was happening here tell us yeah. the truth and they're gonna be like guys i was just scratching an edge like yeah it's not that deep it we'll bring back erotic either yeah yeah you know this would be actually a great series where we just do seances to like invite um the artist or the person who's being portrayed the subject of the painting back and answer some deep rooted art questions and really you settle know, the dates yeah, you know what? I feel like I would rather want to interview the muse than the artist. Yeah, that's true. I'd be like, that's what true. are your thoughts? Like, yeah, because the artists are going to like come up with the most 
the best answer, right? Whereas the subject is like, no, I was scratching an itch. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I feel like some artists are really like super honest and be like, I'm going to be honest with you. I just thought this looked cool. <laughs> but there's so much at stake for them, you know? If they they're really- dead. Yeah, but if they really do say that, then maybe the contemporary critics would be like, oh, then I guess he's not as a, as deep or she's not as deep as we thought, you know? They're dead. That's true. They are dead. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, oh, my reputation, my this, my that. Like, dude, you're dead. Like, you will not face the consequences. But are they really dead if we talk about them all the time? Exactly. It's- so whether we talk about them in a deep or non-deep way, as long as the conversation is going. Okay. There's, see? The women come on yeah i see i see we're okay. keeping their name going regardless right because we're yeah. creating a discourse about them okay anyway back to <laughs> your serious research all right my serious it's not research. an itch yes it's not an itch there are two theories as to why this painting came about right the first one that seems likely is that this was commissioned by guido baldo who is a duke And the theory is that he commissioned it for his wife, the wedding to his wife, who was a 10-year-old girl at the time named Julia. Um, But they think that he commissioned it in order to show what a good marriage is. And there's a few things to kind of back up the idea that it's about marriage. The first one being that the maid who is rifling back in the chest is rifling through something called a cassone which was actually a wedding chest uh, where clothes were kept. Um, And the second is that there is a dog by her feet um, and dogs in that time typically represented fidelity. And also this dog can also be seen in another one of Titian's painting about Guido Baldo and his wife. So we think that that is a strong indicator that it could be commissioned by Guido Baldo because you have some similar that similar element there with a the dog. And the third thing is that during this time period, apparently they thought that women could only get impregnated if they had an orgasm. And so if the guy couldn't get her there um, after sex, they were allowed to masturbate to ensure pregnancy. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I guess there's just not enough <laughs> knowledge about the science of reproduction. Even so there's we've been like... alive as a species for how long? <laughs> for the hundreds and thousands of years. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Insanity. So you know, so those are kind of the three reasons as to why people think it was could have been commissioned by Guido Baldo. The second one that they think is possible is that this was actually uh, commissioned by Ippolito de Medici, and he was reluctantly made cardinal by his uncle, Pope Clement VII. And the woman who is in the painting is actually uh, Angela Zafata, who is the leading courtesan in Venice, and also sometimes a dinner companion of Titian. Um, And it seems like, you know, they were all hanging out, they were all having some fun. And then Titian painted Ippolito's portrait. And then he was asked to paint a nude of Angela Zafeta. Or Titian decided to paint one to be like, I hope you like it. Um, and people think that this could be true because Titian actually wrote to Ippolito's Chamberlain 
1534, which is, and the painting is dated 1535. And he references that he was working on a painting of a woman for the cardinal. Um, and so they think that this could be another story in the timeline. Um, but this painting is really influential because it kind of is like the first one where it's so striking and like really bringing you in into a very central imagery, right? Like she's looking right at you. She's in her private chambers. You feel like you're there with her versus the sleeping Venus where you're kind of just stumbling upon her, right? And it's like a candid and it's not, you know, really like you're partaking in this with them. Um, which is going to be a really like the theme of being involved and being uh, like an active subject in the painting is going to come into play when we actually talk about the Grand Ogalesque. And then the third painting that Anks referred to is actually the portrait of Madame Recamier, uh, which is an 1800s portrait of a Parisian socialite, Juliette Recamier by Jean, Jean by Jacques-Louis David. And it shows her sort of in the height of neoclassical fashion, reclining on a sofa in an empire line. Um, and this is actually a direct, like the way she's posed, which is with her back facing towards us and her head craning back and her arm sort of draped on her leg. This is actually said to have inspired uh, Angus's position for his grand odalesque. Um, and so this is why we're calling this one out, because the way she's actually positioning is what actually inspired the positioning for the Grand Oles. The Sleeping Venus and the Venus of Urbino sort of started the style of reclining nudes and this idea of like us being present in a very central environment, um, whereas this is like more of a technical inspiration. So with that, we talked about all, we talked about a few things leading up to the Grand Olesque, and I'm gonna actually pass it along to Tika to talk about the painting itself. I don't know why I did the peace sign just now. <laughs> Yo-Yo yeah. Tika is in the house. Yo Tika is in the house with the Grand Olesque. Yeah, dropping some uh, hot truths. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this painting was made in 1814 by Anx. Anx. Did I say that right? I think it's more like a Anx. Oh, wait, right, right, right. Yeah, Anx. Yeah. Anx. Anx. <laughs> there you go. Okay, we'll just go with that. Yeah. So yeah, this painting is oil on canvas. Um, it has early romantic tendencies such as elongated limbs, and it has a lot of neoclassical elements, such as the smooth slickness of the skin. And this painting is really big. Um, it's in the Louvre. Um, I forget which section it's in, but it's probably in like the, I don't know. I don't remember what section it's in. But yeah, it's really big. It's in the Louvre. Um, there's also other pieces that came after it. There were like four Four other pieces that he made after this one. One of them is actually in LACMA or the museum with the fancy lamp light posts. Lamp yeah, posts, like the like that forts, Yeah, like the forest of lampposts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that museum has one of the later versions, but all of those versions, I believe, are much smaller. Main one, the first one, is just really big. 
I totally forgot he made different versions of this painting. Yeah, I didn't remember that either until I was doing some more extra research. Yeah, good info. Yep, yep. So yeah, this painting, the new the figure has a Raphael-like face with a with an icy, aloof, distant look. So there's still direct eye, con eye contact, but it's kind of distant. She has a ruby and pearl encrusted brooch in her hair and a peacock fan in the right hand, which could have been a symbol of influence. And then there's also a bejeweled mirror, possibly. This piece shows the Western idea of the Orient. So the Orient to them at the time was the Middle East and not the Far East. The Far East is like East Asia, Middle East is Middle East. So yeah, it's the Western idea of the Orient, so the Middle East and the harem. But it has Turkish, Turkish elements. So it has an incense burner, the peacock fan, the tapestry like turban, the hashish or, or hashish, probably hashish or opium pipe. And that's actually how the name comes about, Odeles, which means woman in harem or the Sultan's concubine. So the, what's interesting about this piece is it's, is the figures like deformity. So the fidelity to anatomy is second. The sensuality is the most important part in this piece. So let me talk about the anatomy first. Um, there's a lot of this, deformities. So there's an inconsistent arrangement of limbs with sort of a rubbery arm and the placement of the leg. And it's kind of an impossible position. The, there's a sideways curve of the trunk and a rotation of the pelvis, which would have been physically impossible in models. There's a visual effect to where the head is further away from her pelvis. Her left arm is much shorter than her right arm, which also enhances this like visual effect. And it's probably shown with an elongated back. Some places say three extra lumbar vertebrae. Some places say five extra. So three to five, I guess. And it shows kind of the gap between her thoughts, which are shown by her aloof and resigned look and her social life, which in this case is most likely a harem slave, as can be seen by all the exotic things around her. And all of this is symbolized by her pelvis. And by adding this pelvic length, angst also emphasizes the woman's sensuous, sensuous beauty. And so going back to the, or the lumbar vertebrae, there is a 2004 analysis done by French doctors. And one of the doctors actually specializes in, specializes in vertebral pain. And so they suggested that it not only would be impossible for her to contort her body in this way, but she would have also needed five extra lumbar vertebrae for her back to look as long as it does. And at this time, the style of art was romanticism and romantic art from this period is filled with nude women with their back to the observer with tiny waists and wide hips. So this hourglass figure was thought to be like the height of beauty. And whether Anx has had intended to distort her proportions this much is kind of debated because no model could have ever posed like this. Maybe he was just exaggerating her slender back, narrow waist and wider hips to add a little bit more sexiness and he just slightly overdid it. 
who knows? Going back to the elongated torso and limbs. So it's a very strange like creature. If she ever did stand to face us, there's a lot more. The, the type of figure this is, these are more than idealized bodies. They're impossible bodies. So like I was talking about, the proportions and spatial relationships have been forced out of any relationship with reality. These distortions were derided by critics in Angst's day and have vexed commentators ever since. Because of this, Angst was widely regarded as the most, or not because of this, in general, he was regarded as the most accomplished painter of his time. But many believed he had compromised his talents by pursuing an art, pursuing this like ideal imagery and art that was as likely to produce oddities as it was masterpieces or works that were paradoxically managed to be both. And this image is an image that's about the pleasure of looking. It's sort of an eroticism that is heightened by the nude's unattainability. So the impossibility of her beauty, the illusionary tactility of all the materials that surround her and the air of detachment created through the even tone of her skin. Which I'm still proud of to this day on our ceiling tiles we had had to, um, so when we say ceiling tiles, we were given the option in 12th grade, senior year of high school to create, each create a scene, to each paint a ceiling tile that would go on the ceiling of our um, art history classroom. And what the three of us decided to do was recreate this image. And so what's what I'm so proud about of this image or these ceiling tiles that we created is the skin color that we created because we have been using like a lot more, I think yellow and whites because of the shade of her skin in the actual painting. And I was like, guys, no, we have to drop like, a few we have to put in a few drops of red and that just made it work and I'm still so proud of it to this day there's there's a few places where you can see on pictures of our ceiling tiles the shade is very clearly different but overall in general I'm so proud of it but anyways we did a really back great to job Thanks. Yeah. Oh I think I feel like that was the main thing I did. I, I don't even remember painting the rest of it. <laughs> I remember being like, I'm just dragging this team down because I have no artistic eye and no placement. Like this is I'm not contributing. Um but no, it was a great time. Because... <laughs> okay, well, okay, so okay. Maybe maybe this artistic eye doesn't come to you in like regular artistic mediums. But I remember you being pretty into architecture. I liked architecture. I'm just not an artist. <laughs> so like anytime our teacher would ask us to draw the painting, I was like, mm, this is not my forte. Like this is not my thing. I'll do it, but I'll be very disappointed with the end result. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but also, I want to like talk about angst and when you were saying about him wanting to portray like ideal beauty by distorting, distorting figures, right? And I was like, he would be a great fashion photoshopper, right? Like, that's all <laughs> the magazines today, putting the ideal female figure because it's unattainable on the cover of a magazine. And, you know, he was pioneering 
honestly Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> he was starting like the idea of the unattainable beauty even then, which is crazy, kind of crazy to me. So, you know, that might be the reason why it was the centerpiece of the exhibition, which this piece was featured in the salon of 1819. And if you guys have been following us along since the very beginning, we started talking about the salon. I think probably in our Dada episode, which was episode three. And it's kind of come up in episodes since then too. So, but yeah, this piece was the centerpiece of the salon and is hailed as the first great nude in the modern tradition. So yeah, essentially a um, precursor to Photoshop. (laughs) And then going into the function. So this piece was made for the French male viewer, it brought up fears and desires that are linked to long aggressive history between Christian Europe and Islamic Asia. And her smooth porcelain-like skin made her sexuality acceptable in the prudish French culture at the time because the people she was supposed to represent were distant from the French. So both geographically speaking, and it also in a sense, objectified the odalesque and made her as a far away and exotic thing. Kind of like how Taishan's Venus of Urbana had an eroticism that was seen as mythically distant. Now, um, Sardi mentioned that there are four other versions of this piece, much smaller though. The painting itself was actually commissioned by Napoleon, like the short he wasn't that short but like people say he was short the French guy his sister Caroline Marat like I mentioned before this piece was featured in the salon of 1819 and it caused a scandal because it was not a nude of Venus and it also because of its strange anatomical features that we were talking about earlier this piece also shows early Anx's tendencies of romanticism and it, like I talked about already, it's a 19th century French conception of the harem. These people didn't probably didn't actually know what it looked like. They were kind of just basing it off of, you know, some historical context. Uh, this was the time when France was an imperial power in North Africa and in the Near East region. And this was also seen sort of as a justification for French invasion um, because it showed a sort of superiority to moral to morally loose Near East people, um, which is kind of interesting because you would, when you look at this piece, you're like, oh, it's just a girl who looks kind of weird <laughs> laying there with a bunch of stuff around her, but there's so much going into this. Um, and then just a few things about Angst himself. He was a student of David and he rejected the neoclassical idea itself but he still had those tendencies. So that's why he's seen sort of as the transition from neoclassicism to romanticism. And he sort of laid down the foundation for romanticism. This piece he painted in Rome because he was actually unpopular in France, which is kind of funny. But I just want to say, like, I can't believe now that I'm listening to all the facts about the Grand Olesque again, um, sort of as a whole, I'm just like, we really like this painting, but the intention of this painting was both sexist and racist. 
and we're a group of POC women. <laughs> like, it's I think so the only long. reason we like it is because this is what started our reenactments in class, and it was the first yeah. piece that all three of us, or it was like our first group project, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very reenactable piece, for sure. <laughs> for sure it's very iconic and it's in the way it looks but now maybe that one I'm... day we'll show y'all Mishi's reenactment. oh god if we get like a hundred thousand subscribers <laughs> once we go viral you guys once we go viral all the dirt's coming out um yeah no i just think it's so ironic that you know it's very much sexist in terms of trying to portray an unattainable woman figure and racist mm-hmm. and trying to be propaganda for imperialism and here we are yeah. talking about the grand Olesque as our favorite painting <laughs> <laughs> we're reclaiming it we're reclaiming it there we go yeah. um one other thing about our ceiling tiles uh just you know i just want to bring this up the fact that we wrote our graduation year on her booth yes and i think we try to write our names in the most like <laughs> we wrote her names on parts. her butt yeah yeah <laughs> on her butt area uh, so it's like manchi and sahania's names are going one way and then i thought we were writing it the other way so i wrote it the other way <laughs> or no, I, no no i think one person wrote it one way i wrote it another way like i wrote it horizontally one person wrote it more vertically and i thought the third person would like write it diagonally to make like a little triangle <laughs> we can probably look at stamp. it that's what we called it I feel like yeah we made a joke about it yeah being like a tramp stamp yeah mm-hmm. tramp stamp with our names on it yeah yep. I, I wonder this if it's gives still me there. such like troll energy yeah because it's like horizontal proper signature and then you and me are off to the side like yeah i mean i think the whole painting was like hey hey, look at what we did (laughs) anyways i wonder like what uh students after us thought yeah well you know what i wonder what angst thinks three random kids painted this and put it into their educational institution as like a minor rebellion against the man <laughs> minor rebellion okay yeah because i felt like we were sort of being bad you know painting a nude woman on our school stealing tiles you know okay. i mean we were sort of bad anyway we took leftover paint and stuff and we'd like go spray it against the wall yeah not against the wall. That wasn't our intention. Our intention was to be like Jackson Pollock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We should like repaint it with the llama head this time. Oh, <gasps> we should. Okay. If once we hit those $7 subscribers, that will be our first live stream, guys. Okay. Yes. Yes, for <laughs> sure. For sure. We'll make it happen. So, like, subscribe, and follow us. And no, no, contribute no. Contribute to our Patreon. Yeah, give us money. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Give us money. Ms. Banks Before we even go here. viral, this is yeah. first. Yeah, give us money. So, yeah, this was the piece itself. Um, now we'll go over to Sahania, who will talk about feature pieces, or I guess not really feature pieces, pieces that came after this one. Pieces Which, that were inspired or, you know, twisted it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess the uh, Titanic scene that we were talking about earlier, draw me like one of your French girls, pay me like one of your French, whatever it is, yeah. falls into Sahanya's. Yeah. Well, inter- interestingly enough, I focus on, I guess, like two derivatives of this work, not necessarily um, like within the genre, because, you know, like Manchu mentioned before, it really did was kind of like a set example for like refining needs as a genre. So kind of despite its controversial and incorrect and anatomical proportions, this work is still very much seen as like a symbol of like the ideal feminine beauty. And like I mentioned, it was kind of like in a way of kind of pioneer for like refining nude as a genre, at least in like a Western sense. But this image of beauty that was meant for the male gaze has been used to subvert this gaze in order to bring attention to issues relating to women in art. So this is due to the Gorilla Girls, uh, who are an anonymous group of feminist female artists who fight sexism and racism within the art world through what I would call acts of rebellion. And I'll get in a little bit more on that later. Anyways, so this group was formed in New York City in 1989 with the mission of bringing attention to the gender and racial inequality um, in like highbrow art spaces, which is, you know, uh, for the sake of like brevity and kind of like getting the message across, these high out, highbrow art spaces are essentially like museums. So in 1989, uh, like Randall Lusk was appropriated by the Gorilla Girls for their first color poster. And, and like this poster is one of their most iconic images, which is like immediately when people see it, they associate it to them. Um, and essentially what they did is they uh, gave the Randall Lusk a gorilla mask and posted the question, do women have to be naked to get into the Met Museum? In order to draw attention to the overwhelming number of female moons counted in the modern art section of the Met, but the underwhelming number of female artists um, that a lot of these high regard museums showed. And kind of like just kept like a lot of female artists work, they just kind of like kept them in the basement. Um, But the poster was rejected by the Public Art Fund in New York. And so what they did instead for advertising space uh, is that they would put on New York buses until like the bus company canceled the lease arguing that the image was too suggestive and that the figure appeared to have more than a fan in her hand. Okay, so kind of ties back to Manchu's um, argument of like masturbating, which I say is an itch. Uh, So it's kind of funny um, how Back when this piece was made, it was scandalous how suggestive people thought it was. And then like 125 years later, it was still kind of considered suggestive, even thought a gorilla head was put on it. And like, this kind of like, uh, not provocative, but this like, you know, kind of like food for thought question posted on it. Like it wasn't meant to be sexual. Well, at least the way the gorilla girls uh, made it, in my opinion. I put the picture in the script if y'all want to take a look at it and kind of like tell me your thoughts yeah I mean I think it's really like I didn't know this fact before that less than five percent of artists in the modern art section are women but 95 of the nudes are female like that's insane right like 
the sort of inequality there is crazy and then you add on the fact that they rejected this advertising piece because they thought it was too suggestive when they're really trying to bring attention to this issue and they're really using a piece that's featured at the Met right like I think those two ideas combined together makes me really like I have no better word than just say sad (laughs) it's really sad well, like, I'm kind of like, well, this was the 80s or like the end of the 80s. Like, mm, yeah. Like, whatever. So I kind of want to do like, not necessarily a rendition, but like see if those statistics have changed. Right, right. Or if yes, by how much? If not, again, by how much it hasn't? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't really think it's changed that much. Like, I don't think you can name a single female modern artist. Well, you're New York, man. She take a little trip and like uh, <laughs> count. Yeah. Do the math for us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Kasuma. Yeah, that's true. She is a modern artist. I think artist. she's like the only one, though. Yeah, that I can But that's out. also because like we talked about her. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, oh, so social movements aside... Uh, of this piece being appropriated for other purposes. Uh, Welsh alternative rock band Maniac Street Creatures references La Grande in a lyric in their song, uh, Pretension and like slash repulsion. So they, refer- they reference La Grande in one of their songs called Pretension slash Repulsion. Uh, and according to the band's lead vocalist, the song's lyrics deal with the idealization of beauty or what is ugliness. And as a fun fact, the actual lyricist who wrote the specific line disappeared in 1995. I have the song pulled up if you like want me to read it to you slash listen to the song. Yeah, but, you should play uh, it. All in all, it's interesting how even when others try to use this work's image to start a conversation or to appropriate something else, it's kind of, it kind of always goes back to its original conversation and reputation of it being this like sexually themed work. Right, 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 yeah. Because yeah. also like going back to the Gorilla Girls poster, when I look at it and I feel like it also, it's kind of like a consequence of like being born in like this specific era and like time, and kind of how like women's bodies are very much commodified and shown everywhere. When I see the Grand Ole West, like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't like evoke anything sexual in me. Yeah. Or any like, yeah. or anything scandalous in me. Yeah. Um, and I'm surprised that like it had that type of reaction in like the late like ending of the 80s. Cause I right. feel like 60s to 80s was like, the most where a lot of like the bodies were being shown yeah or yeah. starting to be commodified yeah i agree um, so i don't know i'm i'm surprised that the granolus has i guess in a way survived the test of time of still being considered sexy i guess yeah considered to be central even though we have so much more like we've been desensitized in a sense to sexiness or sex right or nudity yeah. right i feel like to us this 
like painting is very tame right compared to uh what is out there now yeah considering that we can casually watch media that has actual sex scenes right <laughs> yeah yeah that considering that 50 shades of gray is a popular popular high grossing film and it's basically porn in the middle so and i feel like that's still pretty tame compared to other things that are out there yeah no for sure for sure yeah so you know angst i think really did hit on something profound and i think that's kind of what the message we've been coming back to with all of our favorite paintings is just these artists were able to encapsulate this feeling, this emotion, this reaction that has stood the test of time, which is incredible, right? Like they were able to paint something from, this was like what, almost 300 years ago, more than 200 years ago. And to this day, you know, we still get the same sort of emotions from it that we probably would have back then maybe not on the same shock level but like still definitely feel the sensuality feel like you're kind of put into a private place because she's looking directly at you um just like the scream still seems to represent our emotions the wave seems to represent the inevitability inevitable what am i trying to say guys inevitability inevitability i think i didn't say it right either Reminds me of that scene from Nemo when he's like, yeah, it's a Yeah, I saw in a in of in of inevitability. Yeah, it's inevitable. Inevitable. Yeah, yeah, the inevitableness of nature. You know, um, yeah. So I think it's that's why we still talk about our drama llama. Why we still love to talk about art and love to look at it and consume it because it's timeless right it really encapsulates things that we to this day still see and still understand and feel so the way you said it's timeless it sounded like you were going to start like a jewelry ad or something oh it's timeless it's beautiful it's manchi's the oh. granodalesque what, what Manchi's jewel. I said Manchi's jewelry. <laughs> but it's the granodalesque. Yeah. The Grand Manchi S. The Grand Manchi S. Okay. Well, do y'all want to listen to these lyrics and or the song? Yes, play the song. Ooh. Let me read you the lyrics first and then okay. tell me if you want to listen to the song. Okay. Okay. Oh, I think we should do it. Go for it. We started off. Because I looked at this like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to sound musically. Okay. Well, we, like Tika said, we started one of our episodes by just going full da 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 da. That was different. Y'all like saw it (laughs) before, before you decided to like. We were dying and you were like, Okay. okay but i haven't like vetted this for me to be like okay you're in friendship or like in my this will be our authentic reaction then that's what okay, be our okay, authentic fine. reactions i'll play it i'll stop being a scaredy cat 
All right, here goes. One, two, three. Or not? Okay, hold on. Wouldn't be our drama llama without technical difficulties. Can you listen? Should I turn up the volume? Bro, get out of here. <laughs> to listen to the full song. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you when there's YouTube? Oh my god. <laughs> okay, here you go. Can you move the your what you're recording with sir, to this audio My source and then computer. turn it on? <laughs> oh, is are you just playing it on your computer? Yeah, I can play on my phone though. Hold on. Okay. Because it was hard to hear. Um, all I could say it's on. It's at full volume this time instead okay. of no volume like earlier. Okay, here we go. Are y'all ready for the third time? As Manchi used to say in eighth grade, are you ready for epicness? And I would go, I was born ready. Okay. Sorry. Is he better? Yeah, it's way better. Okay, and that kind of goes on for two minutes. I like it. I yeah. like a good song. Yeah, I will listen to it again. Low key, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm liking the the rhythm. Yeah, vibing. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be some like emo song. <laughs> yeah, mean, I was not expecting an alternative yeah. rock band. Yeah. Also, I don't understand half the things you're saying, but you know, I'm about it. <laughs> That's really me when I listen to any song, anyway. So. <laughs> doesn't really bother me that much <laughs> are the lyrics like um something you want to read yeah huh? you want to read them out loud yeah uh it says it goes sickened in house street that's street that's burned black lived compelled and cold closed down and swallowed formed and regained black curt gloat and discerned a shot from shots, the androgyny fails, odolesce by ingress, yet your bones for sale. Pornographic, this is pornographic, pornographic. Expertly clothed, amazed, and perfect. Couture assumed, annoyed, and ceased. Bow down together, agonized and locked. Mix, sealed, and received. A shot from shots, the adro- androgyny fails, odolesce by ingress. 
get your bones for sale. Pornographic, this is pornographic, pornographic. And it goes on for another verse like that, and then it ends. Wow. They, I feel like, really didn't hold back any punches on that song. Yeah, yeah. which is why when I, like, because I just saw the lyrics, I'm like, oh, I don't know how this is going to sound. Yeah. But, <laughs> okay. It didn't sound that bad at all. It sounded like a really happy song. <laughs> really? I mean, even even the, like, the most upbeat, happy songs can have, like, deep lyrics. True. Pumped up true. kids it's about a shooter. So. That's true. Yeah. yeah, all the kids with the pumped up kicks. Better run, better yeah, run, baby. So y'all know what I forget, but always like remember that we had like a school shooting threat in our school. Yeah, we did. There was like and then a we had like threat. a bomb threat through. Yeah, school, right? yeah, yep. Wait, we that was crazy. Yeah, there was like so the girl actually was in my French class. She found a note on the cafeteria table saying. I planted a bomb today um, and then something else, I think, maybe. And she reported it to the school. And then we were, like, in seventh period. And they put us into lockdown. Into Oh, yeah. wait, yeah. There, wait, there was also a school shooting threat then? Because I thought yeah, that was a it, I remember there threat. was, like, a Facebook post going around. Yeah. That it was, And it was just, like, a picture of an image of somebody holding, like, this little, like, paper going, like, we're gonna shoot all the rich kids, all the popular kids. Oh, blah 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 yeah. blah. Wait, and then, I thought that was the bomb threat. Maybe no. I'm just like confusing everything. Yeah, no, there were two separate incidents. Yeah, and then they like, did we miss school the next day or what? No, I think we still went back to school. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. okay, okay, because I remember like being at school and then, but I'm like, okay, was this the day after or the day after after? No, but it was anyway, the day after, yeah. Okay, because I remember somebody's like, yeah, they found guns in somebody's, like, gym Yeah, or whatever. yes, I remember that as well, yeah. Was that real, or was that just... No, I think they ended up finding out it was a plastic gun, like, it wasn't actually a real gun. Okay. Yeah. Wait, so the shooting threat was a few days after the bomb threat? No, no, no. no, no. This was, they were, they were, there was some time between, but like, I think the next it was, year, right? I thought it was both our freshman years. So, like, a few months later, then. Yeah, I think it, like, both of them happened our freshman year. So, yeah, I just remember there were, like, two times where all after-school activities were being canceled because of the bomb threats and the death, well, the school shooting threats, so. Yeah. Yeah, like, do I remember like, during, yeah. during the bomb threat, too, I remember being locked down and hearing helicopters because it was, like, the news mm-hmm. broadcast station came and, like, was filming us. I was like, what are you doing? If there's actually a bomb, like we're all like sitting like sardines in a can and you're just on the outside watching the whole thing happen. Like what? So where were y'all? Like I, I was, was in French class. class. Okay. I was, I in, was in so you were on the second floor. I was mm-hmm. also on the second floor in that hallway where uh, Miss H's class was. So you're English, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. All three of us were on the second floor. Do you think we would have survived? No. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, it depends where the bomb was. Like, if the bomb was, like, in the arts, fine arts Well, section, that's like... where I imagine. For some reason in my head, I'm like, oh, it was, like, 
somewhere over there. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel I like... I just remember it, <laughs> like, think of it being the main hallway, but, like, maybe on this, probably on the second floor, so, like, right near us. Yeah, I think it either the second floor or on the first floor if they were trying to, like, knock down the foundation of the school, right? That's where you would want to put it. Yeah. Okay. Expert bomb placer? Uh, no, 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 no. That's my assumption. Maybe it's not true. Maybe you want I, I don't know anything, guys. And then you look <laughs> like browsing history. <laughs> How to build a bomb. What's your best place bomb? <laughs> I, I actually wrote the note. <laughs> I graduated high school, like, six years like, yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah that it was a kind of scary it was a scary time because that's also when sandy hook had just happened yeah um, like yeah. the sandy hook school shooting that was like it wasn't the first one but it was a big one yep like yep. at that time yeah and then um i think the boston marathon bombing was also either that year or like one of the previous years or following yeah. years like it was also yeah. around that time yeah yeah, there was just a lot of bad things happening. I mean, there still yeah. are, but, you know. Yeah, you know, just girly things. Starting off with a lot of racist, sexist painting and ending with <laughs> uh, yeah. threats done to your school. Yeah. There was a, someone brought a gun or something um, the year after we graduated. Mm. Um, There's like a whole thing about it. But I mean, I guess it wasn't that memorable. But, but like, someone brought a gun that year. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, there was there were there was one. With, I mean, this isn't the same thing, but like, he got caught with alcohol in his water jug or something. Oh and yeah. And he still get kicked out. Get kicked out of like the most the most prestigious like school group. Model students group school yeah. group. Yeah. Still didn't get kicked out. Yeah, it is. And that, oh, that kid also had a bunch of other problems. So. Whoa, Martika stole that tea. Uh, well, I heard, I heard. Wait, people should that we end this episode grade. before we go into detail? Yeah, we should end this episode. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll say off the record. Okay. Now, if y'all want to like give us a thousand dollars, we will disclose this information. Information is power. And we or should will... we make it higher? Because I think that's pretty a pretty low bar, money wise. <laughs> no, no, no. A thousand is good. A thousand is good. We're not big enough to demand. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, <clears throat> how do we get from the school shooting? Tika, you're like kind of breaking up a little bit. Oh. I was just saying, how did we get from the ground to less to bombing shootings? Uh, no idea. Started times are tough. Upbeat music that has dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sign us off, Sandra. All right. If you have any stories you would like us to cover, email us at artdramalama at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, all under Art Drama Mama. And lastly, thank you for joining us. We hope we can continue looking beyond the galleries with y'all. Until next time. Bye, Lama. Bye. Thanks for celebrating one year 
of our drama llama with us. Woohoo! Bye. And many Bye. more to come. Yes. <laughs>